0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: Welcome to the Football Writer's Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of The Daily Mirror and by David Priest, goalkeeping coach, scout and columnist. This is the time of year for perspective and quiet reflection. But since it's football we're talking about, that's not always possible. 2019 was a turbulent year for Manchester United. Now, be honest, John,
2: did you expect Oli Gunnar Solfjaer to still be in a job? Twelve months ago, absolutely not. It was very clear, I think, from that point of appointment that that he would be a temporary fix. He would gather everyone together. They'd hopefully get a new manager bounce and he'd see them through a very, very turbulent, difficult time and they'd make a long-term appointment in the summer. Well, I think everyone, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure probably ourselves, you know, a, a, were guilty of being swept along by the wave. It felt absolutely inevitable and impossible to do anything but point Solskjaer after United got through against PSG and they had this wonderful run-of-away results. And actually, as soon as that happened, as soon as he was appointed, the wheels came off, really. (laughs) The players who had been giving him everything, I thought, relaxed. I just felt that once United have done that, I think they need to move away from this chop-and-change mentality. I think they need to give him time and opportunity and I don't understand where the same people who were saying he probably needs three windows have suddenly disappeared and changed again and said, oh, well, it's time, his time's up, he's gone. Well, actually, if you judge him on the big window, if you judge United on the big window, which was last summer, you can't argue that they're actually... They improve that squad, and it's going to take time. You can't do it overnight. Wan Bissaka, I think, is, a, is an excellent defensive fullback. He can probably improve on his attacking side of the game. Dan James, Harry Maguire, good signings. It's just going to take time. There's still, I think, some distance off the top four. But United have to decide whether you are going to panic and use the barometer as the top four. As, as the tipping point for a manager or give a manager time and try and proceed, try and move forward. I think they, they, they will do the latter and I think they should do the latter. But I just think there are going to be frustrations, you know, real bumps along the road. And I'm not sure whether really that, that Solskjaer can always survive that. I mean, it was really instructive at points this season when they've seen off big teams like Leicester and Spurs beating them when the pressure was really on. They seem to respond... But away from home, they're really poor away from home, I think, on big occasions. And I think that tells you something about a weak mentality.
1: Yeah, well, because when you look at it, they lost at Watford just before Christmas. And that was a poor performance by any standards. What struck me about it was the lack of leadership. Now, when we we talk about Jordan Henderson at Liverpool, provides that type of leadership... Who fills that void at Manchester United? McTominay seems to be growing into the role and is that because
3: Pogba's not been alongside him? Yeah, possibly. You know, He's been given the time to, to flourish and, and just just get games and get, the, get more experience and he's, he's taken that responsibility, like you said, but you've got to look at figures like uh, David De Gea, Harry Maguire. They're the ones who've got to step up and, and be the leaders in that team. Yeah. What about De Gea as a goalkeeper? Do you think he's become increasingly fallible? I think that he's... It, you've got to take sort of two things in perspective. Is his whole game being affected or is he just a good goalkeeper making mistakes? And I tend to go with the latter. I think Solskjaer is what was talking after the Watford game, saying that he's looked brilliant in training, he's had some great games that have won them points over the last few weeks. And I, and I think that's... I think that, let's say the mistake that you made against Wofford it's uh, it's something that happens to goalkeepers when you're you're thinking one step ahead of yourself instead of just focusing on catching the ball you're already thinking about where you're going to distribute it to all keepers of every level gets, get caught out by that every now and again but just the, the one that was more of a worry was the one against Everton where he, he sort of meekly came there to, to punch the ball away and he was out muscled for it and it didn't look very convincing at all so everyone thought that it was maybe to do his new contract and uh, he's coming out a contract before he signed his new deal maybe that was affecting him now he signed the new deal he's the best paid goalkeeper in the world that's uh, no longer an excuse so yeah probably need to keep an eye on that but I think uh, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer I think the fact that he played better against bigger sides is because he's made them into a counter attacking side They've got pace on the side. They've got a lot of youth, and and that's what they rely on. And they can do that against better sides. When you're playing against in the bottom half of the table, and they're not going to come out at you, and they're going to sit in. That's going to give you a problem that you've got to work out. And until now, he's not been able to do that. Mm.
1: There's still a lot of talk that Erling Haaland mm. might might join in in January. You know, in preference to go to Dortmund. It's it's been no. Ryan has payday yet again. He's obviously closely associated with Paul Pogba. What is the solution to a a Pogba problem? Do you think he should
2: basically cash his chips in and leave? I I think the the ultimate end result with Pogba is that he will be sold next summer because I think that Pogba is a wonderful player. I do sometimes question his motivation and I think you could say that for a few players who now have reached the... Uh, pinnacle of the game, which is which is winning the World Cup, and has he then basically lost a bit of an edge as a player? I, I still feel that the way United are structured and the way they're set up isn't isn't ideal for for Pogba in many ways because I just think that they're missing cogs in midfield. If they had a sort of a better structure, you'd get more out of Pogba. And I think Pogba's position, arguably, is is, is the eight, isn't it? That basically you'd have are more of a holding player if they're going to play in the way that they do and then also attend. And then I think you just need to build that dynamic and therefore you need to almost build the midfield stroke team around Paul Pogba. And can United do that at this moment in time when there's so much doubt over Pogba's state of mind, over his future, over where where we go from here? You absolutely can't. And I just think we're reaching a point in time where I think United will have to look at it. They can't bear to leave it where he's running down his contract any longer. I don't think he'll be sold in January. I do think he, he, there's every chance he could go in the summer because they just have to take a, a statement on it. He's such a, an amazing player. I think we forget how good Pogba is. That he's, he's this incredible rampaging, brilliantly entertaining midfield player who's won the World Cup and is no doubt about it. Is world-class and is for fabulous talent. And he's drifting at Man United. He's absolutely drifting into mediocrity, and that is a crime for Pogba and, and Man United. Yeah. Do you expect if
1: Erling Haaland does sign, what sort of impact will he make in the Premier League?
3: I think for a, a club like Man United, who are used to having that focal point up front, the 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 one one striker who will literally do everything, they'll have it in him. He plays with a great maturity for somebody as young as he is and uh, he's not just a goal scorer by any means. And I think that... uh, that there was a question asked about him, you know, whether he to Manchester United or not, because of his father's history with Roy Keane and, uh, and Manchester United. It's just an interesting point that when he was he started, at Brian, who were a local rival to Viking Stavanger, and uh, and Viking were uh, a big club or a big club in Norway. They tried to sign Erling when he was 16, and it, his father wouldn't allow him to go because of the local rivalry, and he ended up going to Mulder instead. So it might seem like a little bit of a joke that that he wouldn't sign for Manchester United but if his father's got that much influence then I think that might happen again Yeah. All ten matches in the
1: the new year schedule are on BT Sport, shown live The last of those ten are on January 2nd Sheffield United are playing Liverpool Let's look at Sheffield United Is Chris Wilder a viable candidate
2: as manager of the year? Yes, I do think he, he is a candidate. I personally wouldn't make him Manager of the Year, but I think if we, look at, if we look at candidates for Manager of the Year, if you're asking for four or five, he's definitely there. He's, he's there with, with Guardiola, with, with Klopp, with Rodgers. And I just think the, the impact that he's had, I thought Sheffield United, I'll be perfectly honest, would struggle in the Premier League just because they, they decided not to spend big, They they, they largely went with the squad and the ethos that they got promoted with. They've been an incredible breath of fresh air, not just in the way that they play, but if you go to Bramall Lane, the atmosphere is absolutely rocking. It's a throwback. It's brilliant to watch. They're great fun as a team to watch the way that they're they're so different in their philosophy and the way that the team comes at you from all angles. They can be incredibly difficult, I think, to, to compete against these improved players he, he, the, the team knows exactly what they're doing in terms of the structure it, they're, they're fantastic to watch he's he's taken pretty average i have to say sort of championship players on and and, and turned them into into really good you know, outstanding Premier League performers, I think. He's improved Premier League players. He's improved the squad right throughout at every level. And so therefore, if you're judging on a, a manager on, on, on what he's achieved, where he's taken the team, where he's taken the squad and the players, then absolutely Chris Wilder must be appreciated as, as a contender manager here. Mm. He doesn't sugarcoat things, does no. he? Yeah. You know, and
1: basically, I thought he came across as a, in, in a sort of true light when he was criticising Dean Henderson yeah. for a mistake. He said, yeah, he made a mistake. needs to learn from it. When you've got a manager like that in a position like a goalkeeper, which depends on confidence, what sort of balance does he have to strike?
3: Well, I think it says a lot about Dean Henderson that Wilder thought he could do that to his goalkeeper because he wouldn't have done that so publicly if he didn't think that it would have a positive effect on him. Because Dean's a very robust character. He's very driven. He's very ambitious, and I'm sure that his aim is to be uh, Manchester United number one. Do you Wait, think that? Do you think that's realistic? Well, I mean, with De Gea signing a new contract, perhaps not. But I mean, if they decide to cash in or De Gea wants to wants to leave, then perfectly capable of going in there and doing that job he's got the right mentality and uh, like I said it's it's testament to him that he was, he was able to, to criticise him so publicly but I think that's the biggest thing that Chris Weil has done to his players he's given them the mentality that they deserve to be there so when uh, when he's upset that they've only got a point, say away to Tottenham or whatever, he shows his frustration and hes they're not just there to be, they're not just plucky the underdogs, they're not just sort of, yeah, it's a big club, Chef United, don't get me wrong, but in Premier League terms, he's not going there saying, oh we're only little old Sheffield United, we're, we'll give out our best shot. He's not thinking that at all. He's putting them on a level with every other Premier League side and, and that's when the players believe, really believe that they be- belong there. And once they believe they belong there, that's when they, they can put in these performances that they are and they, they deserve to be fifth at the moment. Yeah, given that mindset,
2: do you think they'll cause Liverpool problems? Yeah, I do, yeah. I. I well, they certainly did at Bramall Lane, didn't they? I mean, mm. I, I, would, I would argue that... As, and Liverpool's incredible win and run when they're sort of basically sweeping all before them. That was arguably their biggest biggest test, if you like, and they really pushed it to, to the limit. And I, I, they've got that within their locker, really. Every time you think, well, the, the, you know, the, the Sheffield United wheels will come off and basically this has to even out and, this, and the story ends somewhere. They come back and surprise you with a big statement result. I think they'll cause Liverpool problems. I just think that Liverpool right now are in this incredible groove where they do look to be virtually unstoppable. They're just they're getting result after result after result, but make no mistake about it, Sheffield United can go away from home. And they're particularly dangerous away from home just with the team and the way it's set up to cause teams problems. Yeah. You're working in Sweden, David, at the club that was galvanised by Graham Potter.
1: They gave him, a, uh, Brighton gave him a, a big contract when there was a lot of talk about Everton being interested in him. How big a year is this for Graham Potter and Brighton?
3: I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm quite surprised how quickly he's implemented all his ideas and his philosophy. Because, you know, sometimes when there's a big change from the way they played under Chris Hewton to the football they're producing now, that could take time. But he's gone in there, he's had immediate effect. And the strange thing is their recruitment over the past couple of seasons has probably suited a Graham Potter side than, than a Chris Hutton. You often felt that when new uh, new players came in, they always t- tend to go back to the old guard and the, to the players who'd got them success, who got them up and, and got them uh, to stay in the, in the Premier League in, in the first season up there. But I think that's definitely a long-term plan. We've got they've got Dan Ashworth in there who's he's a main driving force behind the success that Gareth Southgate had uh, with England. He saw that uh, Graham Potter had exactly the same philosophy that he was implementing with England with England side and. They've got, I mean, they've got the the money to to be able to develop that as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how they they recruit in January and next summer. They've always got a they've got a great recruitment department there. They've uh, in depth with their data, their data analysis to shortlist a lot of candidates. But I think that. Um, a big part of what he's trying to do there and playing football a lot of that hinges on Adam Webster as well at the back they miss him when they when he's not there he's, he's injured for a couple of weeks uh, not so long ago and, and he, I think he's got a big future and he probably will be uh, including the England squad uh, in the near future I would imagine
1: yeah and you know, I know you're sweet on the other centre
2: back aren't you oh Lewis Dunk yeah, yeah. I, I just, it's funny you know, I, I did do a piece with Adam Webster earlier in the season yeah. and he, he speaks really well he's got such a big future and a couple of times he referred to Lewis Dunk as, as our best player. He kind of, you know, he really looks up to, to, to Lewis Dunk and he's clearly learning from him. I just think Lewis Dunk is absolutely phenomenal. I think he's big, mm. powerful, strong, good on the ball, commanding. Every time I sort of tweet my my, my affection, respect and love, call it what you will for him, <laughs> then basic people come back and say, oh, look at, you know, such and such as video clip doing the rounds of him. Being, you know done in training or he didn't do that well when he was previously sort of called up. What I would add, just for a bit of balance, is that he was going through a very, very difficult time for Brighton at that time. He was the one, I think, that came, kind of kept Brighton together. They stayed up. He's gone from strength to strength this season. Just have a look at him now. I'm so surprised that he hasn't had another chance this season. Surely... Gareth Southgate will take another look in 2020. He certainly deserves to, to Lewis Dunk. And then that, I think that will actually be quite important for, for, for Adam Webster and is just his path. I think centre-half is the one aspect which slightly worries me a bit for, for England. We need a really solid partnership, and I think Dunk's a real co- big contender.
3: Yeah, it, it, they did well to hang on to him in the summer. Mm. I think there's a lot of interest in uh, for for Lewis Dunk, but I think also with him, it's great for Graham Potter coming in as well because for his prospects, you know, if he if he's got ambitions of being away from Brighton as well, because he's only going to develop him more and give him the confidence to to say, well, you know, you might have been restricted in what you did before distribution wise. Now you've got the freedom to 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 not make mistakes, but to uh, to play more and uh, to be more expansive, and mm. he looks like he's uh, he's embracing that. Yeah,
1: they're, they're playing Chelsea New Year's Day. How important was that win over
3: Spurs for Chelsea you know, just before Christmas? I think it, it, it's probably more important for for Frank Lampard that it was uh, getting one over Jose Mourinho because yeah, coached him, didn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, he did, and I think there was a lot of frustration from Spurs fans, you know. Getting to see what Manchester United fans were mourning about when when he was there, and listen, it was a lot of respect for Jose Mourinho, and, and I think eventually he he'll you know he'll get them back on the right track and, and back into uh, Champions League places. But I think that from Frank, Frank Lampard's perspective, he must be delighted with the way things gone with the team that he's been putting out there giving youngsters a chance and, and that's it. It's, it's not just about whether they're good enough, it's just about giving them the chance to show that they are good enough and they're getting that and the likes of Mason Mountain, Tammy Abraham, they're just flourishing under it. Mm. We've got the year starting for Spurs against Southampton. Mm.
2: Can Southampton stay up with that defence? That that would be the issue. I think that Southampton will probably back Hasenhutl in the January market and... Every time you think, oh Southampton really gonna be in trouble this year, they'll come back and surprise you with a with, with, with a result, frankly, whether that be, you know, against an, an Aston Villa or turning round, you know, sort of uh, I, I think they're uh, basically they were gonna lose really to Watford, weren't they? And all of a sudden they've turned that round on his head. They they, they have got, I think, thanks to Hassenhootel, I think, who's a really good manager, but frankly the squad isn't in great shape it does need surgery i think probably both in january and indeed the summer But i do think southampton will stay up yeah i i I like the way that southampton go about their business they've made some recent bad managerial appointments and choices and i also think the recruitment has been a bit near misses frankly they could have they were close to getting that player they're close to getting that player whether it's being madison or whoever it might be and you know various sort of issues really where it just w- was very close and they would have been significantly stronger but I just think that, that Southampton do try and be a bit creative they're just kind of I mean the, the, the training ground is sensational the, the 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 home support is really really positive and strong despite some of their their home results really being very very poor being better away from home and I just think that Southampton will will get out I think, and there'll be three worst teams off. And I think a lot of that is down to Hassan to Hasenhutl. I think he's a very good manager. He's very, very calm. You know, he doesn't look particularly stressed. And I think that's so, so positive for, for a set of players who've suffered some really bad defeats in, mm. in, in 2019. That's positive. In, with Norwich, is a home game
1: against Crystal Palace the sort of game they need to win to stay up? Yes, certainly.
3: And I, th- I think that um, it's okay, you know, when the the big size like you know when Man City uh, rolled up and uh, they, they beat them at Carrow Road, that's okay. But I mean, the, if you get three points around from teams that are in that bottom half of the table, it has a much more effect, a bigger effect on your position and uh, and on theirs, obviously. It, it's it's great to see that. Even when they're not, even if they're not winning games, you know they're in there. You know they're, they're, they're still creating a lot of chances. It's got to see Timo Pukki. That's still not, uh, even though he, he fractured a bone in his foot, that he's still able to play. That's really important for them as well. And they've got some good young players there who are coming through and for their first season their the Premier League. You know they, they're swimming; they're not sinking either.
1: Yeah, yeah. Of those, if they do go down, mm. the players who will probably be picked up by other mm. Premier League clubs. We're looking at both fullbacks, probably Aaron's yeah. and Lewis. Buendia has always struck me as a really intelligent footballer. Cantwell scoring important yeah. goals. Do they sell them, mm.
2: or do they keep what they've got and then try and get straight back up again? Well, Ben Godfrey is another. Yes, that I immediately, immediately, sort of draw to uh, There's definitely a player there. I think and in, a, in a more confident, well, perhaps more balanced team, I think he would even look even better. I think it's going to be difficult to hold on to Puki, isn't it? I mm-hmm. think that basically the one thing that Puki, I mean, everyone talks about it, but when you see him on the flesh, because sometimes he's one of these things where you don't pick up on the TV coverage, is the movement is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Honestly, for movement purposes, w- which obviously you're always going to be focusing on the ball in the sort of the coverage, but if you see him in the flesh and the ground, ah, oh, it's sensational. He really is top top level. So I think that's going to be an issue. I do think that other clubs will come and have a have a look, you know, sort of whether that's Aaron's who does look at, you know, does look Tottenham a, are really interested in him, are they? I, I can understand why, for various reasons, because obviously Aurea is just not up to the level that Spurs require. And then basically Max Aaron's is outstanding, fits the bill, young English, and lots of potential there. And I do, I do think he would probably be gettable. I just think with Norwich, that they, I think they'll go down. I think it's a really well-run club. And I think the challenge, rather like with Burnley, when Burnley first came up and then went down, the, the art of the of what Sean Dyche did there was that he used the experience to strengthen the players that remained, didn't let a, a mass exodus happen. And basically the, the club was in still in good you know, in a good setup because they hadn't broken the bank, they hadn't bankrupted themselves rather like Norwich now and were able to go again. I think that the the issue for me is Norwich can't have a fire sale Mm. in the basic, they must, if they lose, you know, players hopefully it'll only be two because I'm convinced that they'll have gained enough from this experience to come back straight away and come back stronger and then perhaps stay rather like Burnley Ave you know for four or five years but I do think the structure there is nice and some of those young players are terrific yeah what do you think about Aston Villa Dave they're conceding
1: consistently which is strange when you think you've got someone like John Terry on the coaching staff
3: are they in banging trouble yeah they are I mean it's you know we we can go on about you know saying that it's strikers that you know that win you the games and win you the points stay up, but if you're conceding the goals they are it doesn't just have the effect of losing points it gets demoralising and I think that especially from you know look from the keeper's point of view from Tom Heaton you know that he's He's not as well protected as he was at Burnley, and he's not been able to give the same opportunities to to keep his side in the in the game. And and again, from him, it's, it could have a massive effect on him, especially coming you know next year, coming uh, to the Euros as well. He wants to be in the squad, so it's it's important for him that they, they try and turn things around. But you're you're right, it's it's strange how we, we look at these sides. The, size. the t- teams have defensive problems. Arsenal, notoriously, and they had Steve Bold who was part of one of the most well drilled defences the game's ever seen and, and you just wonder how much time they, they do spend on that because it, it is an art it is something that if you do spend time on it in training you will get better at it and I think that's, it's one part of the game now where we're always looking forward always uh, all the time but if you're conceding goals at the back you're, you're going to have to score two or three goals to win games in the Premier League for, t- for a side like Aston Villa, that's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, If
1: we're looking at Clubs who might be sleepwalking into trouble, hmm. John. What about Bournemouth?
2: Yeah, I do. Bournemouth are quite unpredictable, and that I, I I went down there recently and saw them play Liverpool and. Uh, yeah, I was really surprised actually yeah. that basically there wasn't enough fight there and yes, they had injuries. I mean, Ake and then sort of, you know, Callum Wilson both came off with hamstrings. They're in the midst of a terrible, you know, injury crisis and then I think the following week they're going with Chelsea. So they, I'd like to think that that that, that they will stay up because I really admire the, the job there that, that Eddie Howe has done and I think when we always, you know, predict our season, who will go up and who will stay, you know, stay up. And we never, ever think of Bournemouth as, as relegation candidates. And and frankly, I still don't. But I do think what interests me is that I think that Eddie Howe has done an amazing job at Bournemouth. But do Bournemouth need a new manager? And does Eddie Howe need a new challenge? I do think in 2020, I'd love to see, you know, maybe with all due respect to Bournemouth, a bigger club give Eddie Howe that maybe that, that opportunity because he certainly deserved it. And maybe, just maybe, I'm not suggesting these sort of kind of times run out because anyhow I think, you know, they build statues and call them the greatest manager they've ever had and make no mistake about that. Sometimes a new direction, a new, a new thing can work. And I just think that some of the recruitment hasn't always been great. Some of the signings haven't been, you know, inspirational. And I just think we might have reached a point in time where I don't think Bournemouth will go down I do think I wonder whether the manager and indeed the club just needs a new challenge to to drive them again, to push them to the next level.
3: You often find in, in, in football that managers who stay in there for a, an extended period like Eddie has, sometimes you can start taking for granted that the players that have been there for a long time, that they... They know everything that uh, you've instilled in them. But sometimes they need reminders all the time. And I think that, especially with Bournemouth and Southampton, in the past, when, when Hassan Huttle came in, they were very aggressive. That was the first thing indeed. They were very aggressive. They had a high-pressing game. And they've just lost that a little bit. And it's the same with Bournemouth a little bit. That's where they, they get their... Uh, they're great performance results that's where we are getting from by being a front foot side whereas sometimes as the games go by you get sort of you get molded by the opposition instead of in reacting to them rather than impressing your game onto them and I think that certainly Bournemouth and Southampton are two sides where they need to get back to that
1: yeah let's finish by looking forward
2: since we're talking about the New Year's Day fixtures Who has been your breakthrough player of this season? Tammy Abraham. I just think he's been absolutely phenomenal. I I do think that there's always been this issue, and he represents, I think he highlights a really good story at at Chelsea, whether, whether English players get enough chance. I think there's no doubt about it in my mind that it's always the most difficult position, I think, to make the most impact is as a striker because you're immediately judged on goals. You can't have two or three weeks off. You just can't. You need to be scoring every week. Tammy Abraham, I think, has done that. I looked at him at the start of the season, even whether it be at Man United opening day, and I thought, he's going to be a bit raw. I'm not sure about him. Has he got the stature? Has he got the physicality to make an impact and carry and lead that line for Chelsea? He absolutely has. He's also a great advert that if you give young players an opportunity, an opportunity and a platform, then they can really take it. And I love the way that Abraham, has, I think, has improved, I think, not just as a goal scorer, as a finisher, but he's all-round players, link-up play, terrific player. I think he's had a brilliant 2019. I think he'll get even better in 2020, and that's why he's my breakthrough.
3: So, We've already sported about him uh, earlier. It's going to be Dean Henderson for me. I think the the fact that, you know, he's made a couple of high profile mistakes this season. He's he's had a roasting from his manager publicly, and it hasn't affected him one bit. And uh, and knowing his character, he's like I said before, he's driven, he's ambitious, and watched him quite a lot for the under 21s uh training at Saint jo- uh, George's Park. And he taught the coaches there, and the word they use about him is animal. He so said in in training, he's just uh, he gives everything in training. he's he takes a real pride in not conceding goals keeping the ball at the net and, and I think that the fact that this you know we, we've got, we have got a wealth of, uh, of good goalkeepers at the moment got a lot of depth in that department but I still see that and hopefully this, this coming year that he'll get a cap for the full side because his performances playing in that side you know more than deserve it I think mm. Well I'll go back to where we began
1: Manchester United Mason Greenwood is a special talent, and he's one of their own, you know. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers' Podcast.